cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're live with us on the Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. I did that terribly, didn't I? Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. There we go. Well, it took me two tries to get it right. How are you? My name is Kingsley Kipuri. As per usual, I'll be your host for the next hour. Always excited to be in studio and chatting with you. Also conversations on Twitter and on Facebook, and it's really great to engage. Never a dull moment. The Gupta leaks continue. Uh, news about strippers in prison now. Never, never, ever a dull moment. Greg Nicholson, how are you doing, sir? I'm once again sick. I thought I had the flu once this year, but I couldn't come back. But <laughs> we need to, we need to do something. We need like a partnership with Discovery for a free flu shot for you. In I think so. Just, just repeatedly flu shots. And then we just yeah. plug them. You know, powered an by IV. <laughs> literally powered by Discovery. But thank you for coming in. Despite the, I shouldn't say that, should I? Not no, for, I don't think so. Not for free. No. no. Sorry, everybody. Never, I will not. If if said health health service provider would like to sponsor our show, you're more than welcome to get in touch with us on our Twitter, um, which is at DM Shows Today. There we go, there we go, there we go. An exciting show lined up. Um, we'll be talking a bit about the Gupta leaks. Just looking back, it's been it's been a bit over a month. Greg reminded me today, maybe even up to six weeks. So we want to look back at you know where do we stand now with everything that sits in the public eye. Do we have the smoking gun? How does this affect the policy conference coming up? How does this affect the elections coming up? What 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 fight backs in quotes are we seeing back on journalists themselves, on the narratives around radical economic transformation, around white minority capital? And and where do we sit now? A bit about the process of investigative journalism, which is something that we try to to spotlight. I think it's hard to trust, you know, breaking news when you're not clear where does it come from. Uh, what's the process behind this? Who stands to benefit? So we 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 will be speaking to uh, an amazing investigative journalist who's recently joined the Daily Maverick team to to give us some of the backstory. What do you do when you have gigabytes and terabytes of data to go through and hundreds and thousands of emails? How do you sort through it? How do you release it? How do you manage a narrative that helps? Give people a better understanding of, of where we stand around democracy and and our politics. Lastly, we'll speak about some regional matters. You know, Greg and I love to speak on on, on SADC and wider continental matters. So we'll be speaking about about SADC as a region, and then chat a bit about some specific stories coming out of that, specifically Rwanda, Tanzania, and a bit about the Chagos Islands, which. You know, I think Greg calls the last outpost of colonialism, I think, and it's really something we like to focus on, as something that really shouldn't be happening on 2017. As Greg said, you can join the conversation at DM Show ZA. Now to get started, uh, to introduce our amazing guest in studio, this is Pauli van Fyke, investigative journalist, long incredible career, The Build, Network 24, Mail and Guardian, and now with The Daily Maverick. Welcome to the team and to the show. Hi Kingsley, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, we've been trying to get you on forever and just to, yeah, to really chat about some of the incredible work you've been doing, introduce you to our listeners and give a sense of the, the person behind the amazing work. Um, Pauli, as I, as I said before, I'm, Greg and I were just chatting and realizing that it's been a month, you know, just over a month since the, the, the hashtag Gupta leaks really started pouring out. And I'm curious just to get your big picture sense, given everything that's come out on the different parties. Um, how do things look now from a big picture perspective? Are things fundamentally different in terms of how we understand the state capture idea from before this came out and where we are now? Yeah, sure. Where to begin? Um, definitely, it was kind of a roller coaster few weeks where the one shocking uh, revelation is made after another. I think the main point and the most important point to make here is that no one has started to, to sue us or no one has initiated any legal proceedings against us mm. and no one has successfully and in earnest challenged the veracity of the emails and mm. of the information that we have so in other words the, the silence is deafening yeah. um the guptas and their cohorts are refusing to answer any of our questions uh, the minister seems to to be on edge um, those implicated in the mails. Uh, we know that um, SG Guerimantash has said recently that four 
ministers would come clean to them and and talk to him and said, yeah, well, what what's in the mails are actually Those true. Four ministers have gone to the SG and said, hey, we've uh, seen what's in the news and we're confirming it's the truth. Yeah, wow. yeah, we are we are implicated as as stated. Yeah. So uh, the second important point here is that we're still waiting for the Hawks and the enforcement inf- um, authorities. Mm. Uh, that is something that South Africa must actually question and query um, until something happens, and and. Uh, South Africa really cannot afford to come out of this um, unscathed or, or that nothing happens and nothing comes from, from all these revelations. We need action. We need proper investigation. And we need people to come forward and to say, I, I'm, going, I'm going to stand for what I've done. And, and this is where we're going with this. So in terms of, the, of how we worked on mm. it, um, Daily Maverick has put together a stellar team um, under Branka Brickic. So about an 18-person multi-talented uh, team. Uh, we've got IT, um, IT experts, uh, financial experts, um, amazing investigators um, that working all together on this. And it's kind of like looking at a two million piece puzzle without really knowing what you're seeing and, you and what you're supposed picture. to build. You don't have the picture of yeah, the reference. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so you don't have that picture, yeah. but you, you kind of know where it should go. Mm. Um and that is exactly how this email and, and this treasure trove is. So so just to describe it for you, um we have about three hundred and sixty thousand emails. Yeah. And then we it what seems to be or what's what's like to be a mirror image of Ashushola um, of, of his his computer. So he was a Sahara CEO, um, and in the heart of the Gupta's enterprises mm. and how they conducted their business. So and from that came loads and loads of information of intricate deals, of intricate money flows, of um, how exactly. The shadow economy was actually run by them and how exactly the ministers sometimes skipped going to parliament but went right to the Guptas and said, hi, this is what information we have. Um, this is what we're going to decide. Mm. This is what we're going to, to debate. Going to the Guptas first and then going to the authorities and, and um, following the path that they should. And one after another, these stories are coming out, and we're working very hard um, to 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 bring it out in an orderly fashion, um, and to evoke some change for South Africa. And absolutely, I think the point you made, Greg, before you jump in, I think that's massive—the fact that at the end of the day, if these things weren't true, you would expect somebody to say and go to court and say, "Hey, you're telling lies about me and my enterprise," and, and that hasn't happened. So Definitely. I think that's a, that's a really fundamental point for people who question the. You know, is this true? Which I think a lot of us were a bit worried when the the flow of information came out. Is what can we trust this? That's yeah. a massive point. So, and just why that is actually so important is once a court procedure starts, yeah. we, you know, we can ask for certain things to be discovered by the Gupta side. So that's it's it's actually a liability for them Absolutely. because then we're going to say so. So if you if you you don't agree with this or if you challenge this, now come tell us the truth now. So, so they would be very careful not to divulge more than actually mm, is out in the public point. at the moment and what we're going to put up because there's loads more that we're mm. still working on. Where are we at in terms of that court procedure? Obviously, the Hawks have said that they're looking into some issues, but I think from a public – so I haven't been working on the issues at all, and I think from a lot of other, other news readers – it sort of seems that there's such a such a huge amount of allegations that could be taken forward and sort of all sorts of crimes seem to appear to have taken place. But mm. do you have any sort of confidence that this will be taken forward by the Hawks and the MPA? That's such a difficult question. Um, obviously, I would want it um, and South Africa definitely need it. I do think, however, what has transpired so far is, is not encouraging. Um, what one would have wanted and expected is the day after the first allegations were made the minister of police should have said we've put together a stellar investigations team this is um, where our team is going to look at this is what they're going to investigate this is what experience they have and we're going to we're going to drive this and we're going to bring people to book Mm. none of that has happened uh, we know why. Um, since the president has come um, into power, he has started to compromise all authority and enforcement um, 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 entities. 
and investigators. And um, they seem to rather investigate journalists and where the leaks are coming from um, rather than actually what is going on and, and the various kind of um, uh, transgressions that will come out of mm-hmm. this. So, but I do know for a fact that there are really good investigators at the Hawks. They are busy looking at this. And we will have to find... and. When I say we, I mean this public in South Africa. We will have to find a way to strengthen their hand, either through parliament, either through public enforcement, if we can, um, to to get them to show what they're working on, to get them to be able to 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 bring people to book as they should. These issues are obviously extremely political, with mm-hmm. you know, with ministers involved, premiers involved, um, very, very senior ANC leaders and, and deployees, you know, for example, to, to the big state owned entities, a lot of money involved. And so obviously the ANC's role is extremely important in this. And, and unfortunately, a lot of our institutions end up playing politics. Do you know or do you have any idea within the ANC itself? You mentioned a few people have gone to the Secretary General, but within the ANC, has this caused huge sort of ructions? Are there people within the ANC who are saying, Shit, this is really serious. Something needs to be done about it, and we need to start within the party pushing for um, further action to take this sort of forward. Yeah, definitely. So we have heard um, r- rumors of of people and MPs, and and definitely not only MPs, like high up CEOs of of state owned enterprises, mm-hmm. going to their lawyers and making, you know, confidential affidavits telling their part. Wow. So so they're definitely uneasy. But what we can see and what the public will know is that um, the divide in the ANC has actually grown. So we know before this came out, we know we knew there were at least two factions. The one would be the faction backing um, Cyril Ramaphosa, the mm. deputy president. The other faction seemed to back uh, President Jacob Zuma and his likely successor, Nkosazana uh, Dlamini um, Zuma. So this actually just deepened the divide. So Jackson Mtembu has put uh, Pravin Gordon after he was kicked out as Minister of Treasury. Yeah. Uh, he's put him on, on a very important um, portfolio com- committee um, where he can actually oversee many of these things coming out now. So we've started writing about Dunal. I've written about Prasa, which is not so much um, in the leaks, but uh, the locomotives from Transnet side are very mm-hmm. much also in the news and in the leaks. So Pravin is, is perfectly posed to to, quest, to question and query these things coming from the males um, from Parliament side. Gwede Mantash and Cyril and Jackson Mtembu and a few other ANCs has backed the idea of commission of inquiry. Um, and President Jacob Zuma also seemed to, you know, to want to be seen as 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 being amenable to such a commission of inquiry. It is, however, necessary for the public to realize that he is actually stalling it. It's not in his interest. Um, and he, he, he would go about this like he did with his 783 charges of corruption and money laundering um, in the Sheikh saga. Mm-hmm. He's trying to, at the moment, to postpone it and to, mm-hmm. to review all sorts of applications and court cases. And, and But he always, with that promise of saying, yeah, but I'll institute it. Don't worry. We're going, we're coming there. You he know, wants but his day in court. Yeah, he wants his day in court, <laughs> he wants of a course. Lot of days in court. <laughs> and yet he spent yeah, his whole life trying to fight to stay out of court. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm curious about the, the 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 fighting back, so to speak. Um, um, as Greg and I spoke before the show, we were just curious about about your view on some of the more some of the more pub- public fighting back. So trying to defame or or convolute or 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 question the agenda of of the media as a as a big you know supposedly homogenous entity, and secondly, of specific journalists who are working on this. And- yeah. yeah, because the Gupta family, I guess we could start with the Gupta side. Yeah. Uh, with the Gupta family, they've been taking like blow after blow after blow, and yeah. it's just all these details are coming out, for implicating ye- that's them. for years now also, right? For years as well, yeah. but then, but then more recently, yeah. like obviously it's almost every day, yeah. with all this stuff implicating them in crimes, or, you know, what looks like serious crimes. But and now based in fact, in that's terms right. of emails. And yeah. it's often been the sort of web of, of corruption, I guess, um, has which was largely suspected before, uh, has 
really been confirmed. Mm. But they've been, like you were saying before, almost silent. But in what other ways have you seen them trying to fight back and to sort of either confuse the public or, or win people over? So Daily Maverick did a fantastic story last week um, where we linked a uh, an IT kind of expert or an IT knowledgeable person to a campaign and a white monopoly capital.co.za website um, trying to to create distrust between the public and the journalists um, publishing all these revelations. So Peter Bruce uh, was a definite target. Um, we've seen how he was surveilled and that's actually the worst and and the most horrible problematic um, example at the moment where he was actually followed for what seems like days uh, photographed in meetings and then some tenuous link is made with and and an alleged um, uh, extramarital affair was alleged by by this uh, website and by you know what we would call uh, paid Twitter. Paid Twitter is a thing. <laughs> so um, and Sam Sol, which is part of Ama Bungani and has done stellar work, um, has also been targeted. You know, is kind of being ousted in quotation marks um, as the uh, the leading face of white monopoly capital and totally in the pockets of Rupert's and Oppenheimer's. And I was accused of working for MI6, you know. So really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm an agent for, for the British That's government. quite exciting. You know, very <laughs> yeah. James Bond. Yeah, <laughs> with my Aston Martin and my fountain pen <laughs> exploding, everything. You so, have to show us them after after the show, you know. We can do a little Twitter video. Yeah, can yeah. give you a whole tour of all right. my gadgets. <laughs> um, so... Journalists have definitely become a target, um, but but covertly, you know, with uh, by faceless people without um, actually putting their names to it, which I think is very indicative, and the fact that that person with a uh, wmc.co.za website has been linked back to as a previous employee and mm. a far-off family member of the Guptas. It's quite, the link is quite, um, is, is not tenuous um, and they definitely are fighting back in a, in a very covert and, and animosity way. What about from the state side? So I actually mm-hmm. didn't see what happened this morning because wasn't the finance minister uh, Gigaba was supposed to appear in parliament, right, to talk about no. the issues of him, um, whether he approved and why he rushed um, the, the naturalizing of certain members of the Gupta family. Yeah. But I didn't see. Did he appear or not? He didn't. He, so he was he, the uh, D, the DG, the director general of Home Affairs and mm-hmm. the new minister of Home mm-hmm. Affairs were called by parliament. And neither of the ministers appeared before before parliament. So with that is... Have those implicated from, and I guess we could include now certain members of, you know, sort of leaders of different SOEs and things like mm. that. Um, the president's son and, and the presidency himself, um, people like the Free State Premier and, and others. Do you see any sort of fight back campaign from them that's overt or are they just trying to figure out how to deal with this thing right now? Yeah, um, I see mostly that they, you know, they, they mostly would want to just turn their backs on this and, and not really try to comment and on, definitely not on all the allegations. Mm-hmm. Um, to speak directly about Kigaba, so the Minister of Treasury has been in the news a lot and everything quite circumstantial about how his previous uh, department was run, how people inside his department, for example, sent out a, um, their top secret clearance to Tony Gupta saying, hi, Tony, I have top secret clearance. Here it is, <laughs> you know, kind of whatever you want, I can do for you, mm. you know, with that kind of message. Um, and, and the big story Gigaba was involved in later was how he kind of pushed through the naturalization of the Gupta family. Um, after it was, I think it was about four or five months after the DG of that department, of his department declined, uh, the naturalization. So it shows that he's definitely involved. Um, mm. and, and he, at the moment, he's, he's not agreeing to any of the allegations. I'm um, denying everything and saying that he's been made a target because of his important portfolio. Um, and when we look at, uh, mineral resources minister 
Mosabenzi Zwani, you know, he played the race card. He said it's because he's black or it's because uh, white monopoly capital do not want him to, to go forward with a new mining charter, you know. Mm. So he's played all of these cards to try and, and kind of wriggle out of the very serious allegations because mm-hmm. um, with Gigaba we have circumstantial evidence saying that everything is not right there. But with... Uh, Zwani, we have actual evidence of, of trips where he went with the Guptas to Dubai and how he helped them while he was still MEC for agriculture and tourism in the Free State and how he grew with them up the ranks and how he was very strangely um, moved to to the position as Minister of Mineral Resources and helped them with their Tagita deals um, and acquiring the Optimum mine. So, so yeah, the ministers are trying to fight back, but yeah, it's very difficult to fight back if you have, you know, these very, very clear emails um, and very clear proof. You mentioned earlier the the cleavages that are sort of widening uh, with between different ANC factions with mm-hmm. these emails coming out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this week we've got a very big political event starting on Friday, which is the ANC's policy conference. And King and I were talking before just trying to think about how – how now this, these Gupta emails might affect the ANC's leadership race coming up in, in December 2015. And I'm not sure if you have a strong view on this or not, but we know that Cyril Ramaphosa is sort of um, basing his campaign on the idea that he's going to be cleaner, um, hopefully have less corruption, mm. um, have perhaps a more consistent and stable economic policy. And Nkosazana Lamini Zuma... I'm not exactly sure. I think she was sort of basing her ca- campaign more on sort of obviously radi- ideas of radical economic yeah. transformation, yeah. trying to link in with boosting the uh, – helping the youth and, and sort of sort of youth-orientated strategies. Yeah. But do you, I'm not sure what you think about this. Do you think that with all everything going on right now, implicating a lot of people that actually back uh, Lamini Zuma and sort of tar- – even if it doesn't implicate everybody, but sort of tarnishing that faction with the same brush, do you think her campaign – has and will sort of be limited um, or damaged by by these revelations? Yeah, definitely. Um, just as a side note, she hasn't denounced the Gupta emails or what came from it or the mm. corruption that's clearly came from it um, anywhere in, in a, on a public stand, which is quite indicative. So what I think, um, especially ANC voters would look for, is a decisive leader and a leader who can who can um take the reins and and get out of of the mess that the ANC is in people are very concerned about the ANC um their loyalty to the ANC has brought them so far but even those very loyal people mm. would say or are saying at the moment to hear and no further mm-hmm. so when we go into an election in December and, and Kosazana Dlamini Zuma wins as the candidate. It's going to cost the ANC dearly. And we know that because the people at grassroots level told us so. Mm. Um, and definitely when the Guptas are brought to book and brought to book by some or other faction which is pushing for it, it would definitely assist that faction. Polly, I'm curious about the the back end of all this, I think I'm just so intrigued by the James Bond nature of all this. But no, but, but now, now we're building the narrative. I know, this is now the thing. You heard it here first. Um, well, not quite, not quite, but not even yeah. close. Um, I'm curious about the trade-offs that go on behind the scenes. I mean, you're working mm. on this, you're at the, you know, at the face of these emails. And I'm curious about the trade-offs on perhaps on one side, you know, to, to be factual and to present the public with the facts as soon as you can and as best as you can. And I wonder on the other hand, perhaps is, is one where you're trying to build a more coherent narrative, try to make sure everybody gets it, try to take everyone with you. Are they, are they trade-offs between perhaps overwhelming the public, between putting everything out at once, perhaps about competition and trying to get something out before, you know, perhaps the Sunday Times or whoever gets it? Are they these back, backroom trade-offs that you have to make calls on as you and part of your team? And what, what have those looked like? 
Um, so I think the important one yeah. part here is we publish when we're ready. Okay. So we're not rushing anything anymore. Um, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so so what happened wasn't really the plan. Um, Daily Maverick sat with the information mm. and with this plan of a team and and with the Gupta mails for months. And there were certain things that we had to do correctly. So we had to to help the sources to get away, and we had to help. Um, the sources to be safe okay. We had to get the information To a place where it's safe And we also had to protect ourselves Because this information is so damning um, that, it, that it should Bring loads of people To jail To the do- jail's door So in that process Some of the, some of the original sources um, In trying to influence The, the NEC meeting mm. at the time um, leaked the information to Sunday Times and City Press, and they ran with the story, a big story on on the Gupta leaks, and with a few summaries of of you know some of the most populist revelations. Mm, so the big thing was NEC meeting is coming up. We leak this now quickly. We can affect the outcome yeah. in the meeting. Got it. Which didn't happen. No. Um, and anyone who mm. actually thought it would happen mm. um, misread the the politics of the day. Um, the NEC would never have recalled. The president Definitely not on the basis of a, a newspaper story That we must accept and, and we must know So that didn't work um, So then Daily Maverick um, In conjunction with Ama Bungani and News24 Started to work on these emails And we started to write stories about it um, And in the first few days I think it was a week We published 19 stories And we realized this is not That's going a lot It is a lot um, And we worked like hell <laughs> So around the clock um, And we realized Okay, so d- things didn't didn't work out as as we planned. We wanted it to be very orderly and very thought through. It's not it's not working, but we've now sort of plucked the low hanging fruit. Mm. Now really is the puzzle building, you know, where you you think of three years back um worth of of tip offs and you see this email and you see that financial statement and you go back to sources. Mm. So this is where the real verification comes in of, of what you actually see and you really this is go to go back to that two million puzzle piece puzzle that you're building. This is really where the difficult work starts and where the real investigative work starts. Um so we're busy with that and uh we have a few stories in the pipeline and it's managed by the editors of course of Daily Maverick and Amabungani and News twenty four. Um and so at least once a day or twice a day or so we release a, a very hard hitting story about the Guptas, but very well thought through, thoroughly tested, um and nothing rushed. Cool. Are you ever worried about your personal safety? That that somebody's gonna I mean your name's in the public, you know, fairly big profile and people know you're working on this. Are you ever worried that you you know, find yourself either on a website on WMC or that people are following you or anything like that? Um, no, we actually are not. We were, and I think it was, it would have been problematic if we still sat with all of this and it hadn't gone out. Okay. Then, then there would have been an incentive to hurt us. So at the moment, fortunately for us, the fight back campaign of the so-called WMC.co.za is so sloppy and so badly done that everyone can see right through it. Yeah. Um, so, so we're okay at the moment, and I think we, we know that we've touched a nerve. And it actually just fires you up. Um, sorry. Yeah, no, now yeah. we're, we're actually running out of time with you. So, so I think he's keen to now Okay. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that the initial leak was the aim was to force the hand of the NEC meeting. And that, that, that brings me to think about just agendas. And these are beautiful words that we throw around all the time about agendas and media agendas. Uh, I'm curious of if there's any concern on your part about doing the right work, but in a way that aligns with Somebody else's plan So And this is Completely speculated But it's it's things That people say When they debate You know Things that, that are happening In the news And in politics oh, So in theory The media is doing the work And Daily Maverick and Scorpio Are doing the work It is true And it is good journalism However The leak Is an attempt To focus all Corruption uh, Narrative Around the Guptas And therefore We excuse The banks And therefore We excuse every All the apartheid Era corruption And so on um, are you? Is there ever concern for you that the, the 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 work is being done truly and correctly and justly? However, it it's it's part of a bigger agenda that perhaps is more sinister. 
That is such a good question and an important one. Um, but the short answer is no. We're not, definitely not worried because so strangely the Guptas' um, alleged corruption or yeah. that what the wrongdoing yeah. that it shows mm-hmm. is so all-encompassing that it really touches on every sector of the country. Yeah. Um, um, the so so called white monopoly capital that they so denounce yeah. you know they've worked with them a lot <laughs> and the banks yeah. haven't we're working on stories about the banks about okay. their about their auditors so we are definitely not letting slip all sectors of of the people and the public and and the government who has worked with the guptas on this so we're definitely not worried about only targeting the guptas I was really hoping to get into some of the work you've done on Prasa because you've been in the midst of all this Gupta leaks. You've been doing some fantastic stuff on Prasa with both the the story on Arthur Fraser, our new crime intelligence boss, um, linked to to sort of dodgy deals there, as well as uh, Sofisal Butlezi, the deputy minister of finance, and just just in general the the fact that I think the recent investigation found that 13 out of 216 contracts awarded between 2012 and 2015 um, with with values over 10 million rand, only 13 of those 216 were above board, which is just insane. Yeah. So I think we'll perhaps like to get you back um, talk Isn't about that, that like soon. like 5% or something? If that, so that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a miss. It's insane. It's like, is it 2, two or 3%? Yeah, that's a miss. We're journalists. Our maths isn't the best. But, <laughs> <laughs> but seeing this is the first time we've had you on the show, I want to ask you, You've, you've described how hard you've had to work recently, um, some of the slander that's sort of come your way. Um, you know, this isn't always the most rewarding industry for, for what you sort of put in. So why, and you could, I'm sure you could get a job in PR or government or any, you know, all sorts of different fields. Why, why do you do this? Why do you, why are you an investigative journalist? Why do you want to be a journalist and continue to be a journalist? I think all journalists and especially the investigative journalists are kind of a, have a whip cracker mentality, you know, so we get a kick out of it of, of, um, pulling back, reigning in power and especially unchecked power. And we have a deep love and a deep loyalty for our country. Um, we are South Africans through and through. Um, and we want to see things go well for all our people and when things are not going well, you start asking why. And especially in a country like ours, where we come from a very problematic place and a very problematic history. Um, and we knew, uh, where we had so much hope for, for a new establishment. And when that doesn't happen, you have to ask why. And you have to have people that is asking why. And you have to have people that tells government, but you're not living up to your promises. You're not living up to what you said you would do and where you said you would be at the moment. Um, and journalists, I think, well, me personally, we're just driven by a a deep love for what we do. Um, and also you have that investigative mentality. So it's quite nice to pull pull different strands together and build this big puzzle so that and it's not an it's not an easy job as you guys know exactly so um but it's very rewarding and um in terms of when we say it's rewarding you don't only think about the financials of the matter absolutely holding yep. thank you so much not only thank you for, for having me for chatting to us but for the important work you're doing we look forward to having you on many times to the future and you know we'll, cool. we'll glue to our phones every morning to see what the <laughs> the next piece of the two million piece puzzle is so thanks for the important work and and keep it up thank you so much king all right this is a daily maverick show on cliffcentral.com that's investigative journalist Pauli van fike we're going to go into a very quick break and then we'll be right back good afternoon you're back with us on the daily maverick show on cliffcentral.com going to the second portion of our show where as you know we love to do going to talk a bit about things continental for this we'll be speaking to Kristen van skier who's an award-winning journalist who's now uh being published on dm's pages you may know her from sadak rap which is a sort of phenomenal newsletter that goes out to, to 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 give you a roundup of some of the news coming out of the region she's done some excellent work with the mng with the afp with the star and now with the daily maverick of course on the line from Cape Town. We have Kristen on the line. Kristen, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. We've been trying to have you on for ages, so I'm glad that the day <laughs> has finally come. 
Kristen, you've done a lot, a lot of things. You've worked in environmental journalism, won some awards. And I'm curious about, you know, how this all came together and, and how we, we now know you for SADA crap and, and you now doing the work you do around the region and the continent. Well, I've, I've always wanted to cover the continent. Uh, it's always been my goal to report internationally um, as much as I am an avid follower of local news. Um, and, um, and so it was around 2014 I started a small blog called The Sadic Rap. Um, and the purpose really was to get me a job in international news. It was the idea that if I was to get called into an interview with an international editor, I would know the region. I would know the region backwards. I'd know the politics. I'd know the players. And and then people just started sort of signing up for it. And then I did a stint with the French news agency, AFP, for two years in Johannesburg. Now freelance, still looking at the region. And gladly, <laughs> Penny Maverick has picked up the static rap as a weekly column. No, it's phenomenal. Um, highly recommend it to everyone listening and I will tweet a link to how you can, you know, find it on Daily Maverick or subscribe directly to get it. And it just makes me look clever. Every time I'm at a dinner party, I'm like, you wouldn't believe <laughs> what happened in Angola yesterday. And I, and I sound like a genius. Actually, I'd love to jump into some of the news stories. Um, Let's do it. Um, embarrassingly, this is a country that's not part of SADC, so probably not a great start. But I'd love to start with some of the news coming out of Rwanda, which sounds really crazy. So I'd just mm. love to start from really basics. Who is Kayumba Nyamwasa and what on earth is going on? Kayumba Nyamwasa was the former right-hand man of president of, of Rwanda. And he, like, like many of the top players in Rwanda's ruling party, they are not, their hands are not clean after the 1994 genocide. Mm. There was dirt committed on both sides. And President Kagame and several of the top officials have for years faced allegations regarding human rights abuses, regarding genocide, and regarding shooting down the plane of Burundi's president in 1994 that set off um, the, the 1994 genocide. Mm. Now, after a falling out uh, in the early 2000s, Yamwasa fled to South Africa, uh, first to Uganda, then to South Africa, and he's been here ever since. Uh, 2010, there were two attempts on his life, and they've been, there's been another one since then as well. Um, and uh, basically what's happened recently in terms of his case is he – after all these attempts on his life, has finally uh, reached a point where the courts have recommended that South Africa needs to consider whether a person facing allegations of genocide and human rights abuses should have refugee status mm. in spite of those attempts on his life. Mm. So now he's looking at a situation where he may actually have to face courts in Europe for these allegations. And that kind of opens up you know, a whole bag of worms regarding President Kagame himself because – if Nyamwasa testifies in these cases, who knows what he'll say about President Kagame. I mean, that makes sense because I'm thinking both in the Rwandan patriotic front, anything this person was very close to Paul Kagame done, surely we can assume mm. implication of the president himself. Absolutely. And, I, you know, there are two different trials going on at the moment, or, or investigations at least, one by the Spanish, which is looking uh, more into human rights abuses that were committed leading up to the genocide and then after the genocide. Mm. And then there's a French investigation, which is specifically looking into that plane being shot down that sparked the genocide. Now, in the Spanish uh, investigation, Kagame, the, the, the legal investigators, that they recognize that Kagame has immunity. Um, he's, a, he's a sitting head of state, yeah. so there he's more or less safe. But on the French side... Um, there was a report that came out last year from a, a, a brilliant Canadian investigative journalist, Judy Reaver, where she got documents that showed that Yamwasa has uh, approached the French team to say, listen, I can testify against Kagame. I can give you proof that he was the one who ordered for this plane to be shot down that sparked everything. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's really very interesting and uh, it's it's one of the reasons why they you know people speculate that there have been these attempts on his life. It's just a matter of fact mm. that former allies of Kagame who have since fled the country have been taken out. There have been attempts on their life, some of them successful. I mean that's that's the next thing I was going to ask. Given that it's in sounds like it's in President Kagame's best interest for this to go away, and given <laughs> that we found his former you know, uh, shall we say colleagues or right-hand men, you know, dead in, 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 in hotel rooms in Santon, Johannesburg, mm -hmm. is, can we assume that uh, Nyamwasa is in very serious trouble on that front? 
that would certainly be his contention. And I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a, it's a false one. For all the bad things that he's been accused of and the allegations he's facing, I don't think that that means that he is out of danger. Um, I don't think that we should go, oh, this guy's facing genocide charges. Therefore, let's not take seriously the, the genuine threat to his life because people have been murdered. Uh, his closest friend, Patrick Karagaya, also a very close ally mm. of Kagame, like you said, found dead in a Santon hotel room. Um, so this, it's, a, it's a real problem. Uh, there is no way for Kagame to be, for, for Nyamasa to be extradited back to Rwanda. He's already been tried in absentia there for other crimes. Mm. He would go straight to prison. It's not safe for him to go there. It's not safe for him to go to Europe because he'll get tried. There's a very small world available to him that is safe to be in. And even South Africa is not proven fully safe in that regard. Absolutely. I know we need to move on to other stories, but two quick mm. questions on this before we move on. I'm curious as to, you know, South Africa's stance on this. I imagine after the whole Omar, Omar al-Bashir debacle, South Africa would really love to just not have anything to do with with presidents and regional politics and, and who's who, but somehow we still end up in the middle of these matters. What's our stance on this? Could you see us aligning with Kagame and saying, hey, we'll do what you want. Are we more likely to go with the French and the Spanish and say, feel free? Are we just trying to stay out of this as much as possible and just be quiet? quiet and see what happens. Well, South Africa's stance for the longest time was to stay out of things. Yeah. You know, quiet diplomacy, keep out of it, let, let the countries handle this between themselves. Um, and then in recent years, we've seen that turn into an act of antagonism against the ICC, for example, against Western powers seeking justice against African powers. Um, and there are valid critiques that support that position. But I don't see South Africa siding with Rwanda in this instance, simply mm-hmm. because it would legitimately be putting a man's life at risk. Um, interestingly enough, South Africa fought this application to have Nyamwasa's refugee status rescinded all the way through the courts for years. They have not responded to any of the requests from the European investigations to have him extradited or to cooperate and to help send information, nothing. And then last month when the case got to Supreme Court of Appeals, they suddenly, in an out-of-court agreement, just conceded, we're not going to win this one. And that's quite interesting um, because that's a complete shift. But at the same time, just days later, you had the ANC in a press conference making it very clear they are not changing their stance on the ICC. So it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag. Maybe just legally they saw the writing on the wall in Namas's case, um, but but as a party at least the ANC is still adamantly against uh, Western prosecution of African powers. Absolutely. Uh, we have Rwandis or Rwandan elections coming up in August. Paul Kagame going for a third term. So Kristen, I'm sure we'll mm. come to you in the build up to that. <laughs> I want to switch to somebody that's actually in Chagos. Or, I mean, not in Chagos. Jesus Christ, in Sadek, Tanzania. We've seen the president go and declare a ban on pregnant girls and teenage mothers in schools. And the quotes are just are really indefensible. As long as I'm president, no pregnant student will be allowed to return in school. We cannot allow this immoral behavior to permeate our primary and secondary schools. Why on earth? What, what, what's, what's in it for him? Why, what, why is this helpful for a president to go out and declare this? <laughs> I mean, you don't really, as a president, have to talk about details like this, about, you know, primary education. Why is this happening? Mm. This is something that, that's actually been around for a while. And it's, it was the kind of story that when I saw it, I felt uneasy about simply because I hate, I really hate it when the international media picks up on a little sentence that's said here or there and mm. then use it as ammunition to sort of like roll their eyes at Africa. Mm. They did that a couple of months ago with Zimbabwe when, um, when, when an official said that villagers could use goats to help pay for school fees, which, you know, when you examined it, was actually a very practical suggestion in a country yeah, that's a, facing that's a, a cash good crisis. Idea. That's a pretty good idea, yeah. So, yeah. So when it came to this, I was, I was really, when I saw, you know, that so many international media picked up on the story, I, I was really hoping that the, this was a misinterpretation of something that was said, that there was actually something practical behind it, but it, it really is just indefensible. It's been going on for years now where opposition MPs have been trying to get the government to reconsider their stance on this. But essentially what is happening is that there are officials going into schools uh, and conducting pregnancy tests on a monthly basis. And if a girl is found to be pregnant, she is expelled and she is not allowed to come back. There's no having the baby and then coming back to school. Mm. The girls are kicked out. Um, 
it's something that I don't quite understand what the president gets out of this. But what we have seen with Magufuli's presidency is um, some some dangerous authoritarian and moralistic stances that he's been taking. He's done well in terms of really clamping down on corruption, but we've also seen, in addition to this to this sort of charge on women's education, is in the last two years uh, a sudden and worrying. Um, fight against LGBT rights in the country, something that, though illegal, has, well, suddenly is illegal in, in Tanzania, not homosexuality, but it's always sort of been tolerated until last year when mm. you had people being arrested, you had names being published, um, and, and that is that is strange and that is worrying. And it, again, it just reminds me of this, this nuance with which we have to look at the continent, that somebody can simultaneously be good and bad for their country, that they can fight corruption and at the same time take the women's movement and the LGBTI rights movement backwards years. I mean, I hear you, and I, I've been I've been wanting to speak about Magufuli on the show for a while because once he first took office, he you know he had some really bold. I think Greg calls him the bulldozer. Some really bold moves of coming in and saying corruption this and firing people and and some really public gestures of no nonsense, new era for Tanzania, and those things are exciting for the public and so on, and they and they they're big signals that that things are changing. But I always worry about. About people so comfortable to take decisions independently without consultation, because the second that turns, we see the the other side of that, right? We see the impact when it's now against the LGBTI community, or when it's on girls mm-hmm. in schools. It's just this idea of I know what's best. I don't have to consult or do it in line with the laws or whatever. I can just go out and make a claim. So, are you worried, or is that just me? Are you worried about a slippery slope of authoritarianism from somebody who really started as a as a really welcome fresh air for Tanzania? I, I am worried. I am worried. I'm, I'm worried whenever leaders impose their own morals and their own yeah. worldviews on the people, there is nothing about good governance in, in these two specific spheres against women's education and against LGBTI rights. Nothing about that improves the country. Um, it is just somebody imposing their morals on a, on a community. And it's what you see happening in so much of the world when a conservative person comes to power and uh, people latch onto it because they have those same morals that they've been holding back and maybe not saying out loud. And now you have a person in power saying it. And, uh, I mean, it's a real threat to people's lives. You, you cannot, you cannot say that it's okay for, for Magafuli to be doing what he's doing when it literally holds so many girls back. They will never get that education back when it, when it legitimately puts people's lives at risk for the LGBTI community. I mean, that is, Deeply concerning in and it's, every, and it's, every it's completely small in contrast with what he was away from saying mm. say, saying earlier and the hopes the hopes we had for him when he came in. But Kristen, just before we let you go, we want to touch on one last issue. Um, Chagos Islands. I think our our listeners we've we've focused a little bit on the show before, and our listeners will know that the population there were. Um, removed and sort of exiled from, from their, their homelands in the late 60s, early 70s, um, largely to wake, make way for a United States, um, I think it was, was it Navy or Air Force base at, at, uh, military, base, yes. military base on the island of Diego Garcia. And now just recently, the United Nations has ruled against Britain. Um, in, in a vote, um, on this issue, and they're sending the matter to the, it's the International Court of Justice, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Can you just take us through the potential impacts of, of what might happen there at The Hague? So, uh, this is interesting. It's, uh, what, what, what has been passed by the UN General Assembly is a referral of this question around the legality of, uh, the decolonization of Mauritius about the secession of Chagos by the UK. To the ICJ. Now, what the court will do is they will give a legal opinion. Mm-hmm. It is not binding, uh, and it will take about a year and a half still. So, this is not something that's going to happen quickly. And at the end of that, they will considering they the will 50 say, years it's taken so far, that's actually not too <laughs> <laughs> not too slow. It's not too slow. But whatever it is, they say if if in the end they go the way that Mauritius was decolonized, the separation of Chagos from Mauritius just before we granted them independence, um, that's, that was not legal. There's nothing in that opinion that will force the UK to do anything after that. It's just an opinion. Um, now, I've spoken to a couple of lawyers, and, and I'm working on a, a story on this for Daily Maverick this week. Um, what, what lawyers are hoping 
is that because the UK has this reputation as a law-abiding country, it sticks to its international commitments, that it will it will have to act to maintain its credibility. And the decisions that it makes based on that legal opinion, if that opinion goes Mauritius' way, will go a long way in determining what kind of country the UK now sees it in, sees itself as in mm-hmm. this increasingly isolated position it's created for itself in the world. Interestingly, um, I noticed that I think it was all most European countries and EU members decided to abstain from this vote. Is this one sort of effect and sort of a, um, a, a sort of whip back from from Britain's decision to to pursue a Brexit? It's. I think it's absolutely connected to that. You know, in the in the statement that the different European states made explaining their votes, they all said that they agreed with the United Kingdom in principle, that this was a bilateral issue, that it should not get referred to the court, that it should just stay between the UK and Mauritius and they should talk it out. But the UK specifically asked, if that is your position, don't abstain, vote against the motion. And those countries abstained. There were only two EU or two European countries that voted in favor of, uh, of the UK's position. And that says something, something very, very big. It gives a signal, first of all, to the courts that, you know, there's a kind of a hands-off approach. If you decide that this is, that this is not legal, what happened, we're not going to mess around. We, we will, we'll take your opinion. Um, and as is, when you consider that big countries like China, like Russia, they abstained from voting. They didn't, they didn't take a stance on it. That's a sign to the court that they're okay with them handling the matter. Um, and I think that it, it's a real sign that the UK finds find itself losing its credibility on the international stage. Um, I think looking at the story of the Chagos Islands and considering what happened and how long it's taken for for the population to find sort of any sort of semblance of justice, is there has has this UN um, decision um, how has it been received in the UK and has is there any sort of building sympathy for for this cause that that has sort of for a long time I think a lot of a lot of English and and, and Britons have have really resisted and really. Um, been reluctant to to engage in sort of the horrors of their colonial history. Has this changed anything? I, I can't speak really for the reaction in the UK. I know that the statement mm-hmm. that I got from the UK embassy was one expressing deep disappointment at the result, um, that they really did not feel that this was the correct route to handle the matter. And on the other hand, the you know I spoke with the Mauritian ambassador and such joy over what happened. I mean, this mm-hmm. isn't just a story about the UK's uh, losing authority on the international stage when it comes to this matter. It was it's a real story of, of um, African unity. You know, this this motion was pushed through by the um, the African bloc at the UN. They voted utterly unanimously from north to south, east to west. Everybody was behind this motion. I think what is obvious to a lot of the African states is that this is a matter of decolonialization. Whereas the UK sees it as a sovereignty issue. You agreed to give us this piece of land in 1965. It is now our land. We didn't colonize the land. You gave us the land. Mm. So there's a fundamental misunderstanding between the two sides of, of how to see this. But you can see from the voting patterns, former colonies really got this is a colonial issue. Yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. For excellent work. And I'm sure we'll have you on many more times in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks, bye. Fantastic. If you're just tuning in, that was Kristen Van Skier, who's now writing for Daily Mavericks Pages. Remember to just keep an eye out for our work. We'll tweet a link to Sadakrap, the great newsletter we, we spoke about before. I think a fun opportunity over this hour to introduce you to some of the sort of the newer people we're working with. I'll give you an idea of what they're working on, some of the, the personalities and, and, and faces behind the work. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks for tweeting and, and, and listening as always. Remember to download and share the podcast far and wide. A big thank you to everybody who joined us and of course to Greg Nicholson for helping put everything together. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Cliffcentral.com.